Welcome to Marty's Music Kitchen, the fun music and food podcast where anything can happen. We're on the road broadcasting from New Orleans, home of jambalaya and po'boys and the birthplace of jazz. Come go with me across the sea as we traverse this universe. Straight from Frenchman Street, I'm with Miss Sophie Lee an amazing singer-songwriter with her own band and owner of the Three Muses Restaurant. Her music is a blend of traditional New Orleans jazz and 40s-era swing. She's known for sweet, silky vocals that take you back to an earlier, more romantic era of jazz. I actually went to piano, classical piano conservatory until they kicked me out. Oh, they kicked you out? Yes. But then I picked up a guitar and started a rock band started writing songs, which I had never done before, and started playing for fun, which is way, <laughs> way more <laughs> enjoyable than it was when I was forced to do it. On today's menu, Miss Moon's Bulgogi Rice Bowl, a time-honored recipe handed down through two generations of Sophie's family, and the only dish that's a required menu item. She made it a point to teach me how to cook. So she would be in the kitchen and she'd yell, Sophia! Get down here. <laughs> He's like, watch this. You know, and she didn't have me helping her make, you know, banchan. And she wanted me to have this and to pass it down to me, which I'm going to pass down to my daughters. You know, so I'm very grateful for that. What inspires Sophie's drive to create new music? And how did she end up the bell of the ball in this beautiful city? Follow me through the doors of the Three Muses and let's find out. So hi, Sophie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. I am so glad to be here in this beautiful city where you're like quite the singer. You're you're hugely popular. Really? Yes. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you're a, a singer-songwriter. Yes. And and do you call your band Miss Sophie Lee's Band? Or? Well, in the beginning, it was just Miss Sophie Lee. Uh-huh. Because when I first started, I moved to New Orleans in 2001, and I didn't do music the first what? year. Well, because I was taking care of my mother. Oh. She had gotten sick in uh. Chicago, where I'm originally from, uh-huh. and we moved her down to Mississippi, Tupelo, uh-huh. where my brother was living. Tupelo, that's Tupelo, how you say Tupelo, that. Tupelo, Mississippi, where uh-huh. Elvis was born. So another music city. Right, kind Elvis. Of, kind of. The spirit of Elvis. <laughs> right. And so we, she moved there to live with my brother so his wife could take care of her oh. after she'd gotten sick. So I was still in Chicago. And in 97, I believe, I went there for a summer just to hang out with her and to see sort mom. of to see mom and help them out with her care. And they had two small children at the time. And I intended to stay for three months, ended uh-huh. up staying there for three years. No kidding. Yeah. Wow, that was not a short visit. No. So from Chicago <laughs> to Tupelo was quite a change and a shift in many ways for I me. I can imagine. Yeah. The culture must be so different. Very because, different. I mean, you're at opposite ends mm-hmm. pretty much. Pretty much. Of the United States, right? Right. And yes, and the kind of cultural spectrum. And I had sort of stereotypes in my head and what I thought I would expect and vice versa. What would you expect? It, well, I, I expected lots of racism and lots of uh, division, but I found the most warm, inviting, 
people of all races. Really? Yeah, more so than in Chicago. Really? Which I found very surprising. You know, I would too. I mean, I'm from Portland, and let's just say that when I grew up, it wasn't very culturally mixed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people just wanted to be, the farm families were farm families that had been there for generations, and they were all, you know, white people right. with their own kind of culture. And even in, you know, that you get your, you know, your farm culture and that's, you know, a lot around family and getting up at 4 a.m. and things like that, which is how my father was raised. Mm -hmm. And the reason I was raised in the city. Yeah. Because he's like, no way. <laughs> I'm not going to raise my kids on a farm. That's right. too much work. I don't want to do it. So he became a teacher instead. Uh -huh. But yeah. Portland, right. it's much more diverse now than it used to be. For so. sure. And so that's what I found there started working in a um, one of the, at the time, the only fine dining restaurant in Tupelo. What was it called? It was called Park Heights. And I believe it's still there. Park Heights. Park Heights, yeah. <laughs> and um, it was kind of a, it was very kind of revolutionary at the time, because this is what, 1997? Yeah. 98, something yeah. like that. And I uh, started getting really interested in food because everybody who worked there, and the chef was from New Orleans. Uh -huh. She hired a New Orleans chef to uh, head that kitchen. Nice so, little connection for you. For a sure. toe in the water. And then we uh, all became really good friends and cooked together and got to eat together. And we often would come to New Orleans uh -huh. as a group. Uh -huh. So that's how I first started coming. My connection to cooking and restaurants is that I worked in them my entire life, got supporting it. my art. Right. Like most people do. So were you a musician? In so Chicago, you... yeah. I, I was in a rock band. 90s, mid-90s, you know, oh, yeah. grunge, I guess. We actually, we're a little bit different. We had a, it was a seven P, we had horns. Oh, yeah. In a rock setting, which most people didn't in 93. So uh, we were sort of forward thinking. Um, but I, you know, I, I poured coffee, waited tables, bartended, like most artists, up-and-coming artists do. Mm -hmm. and, and also my parents, before they got divorced, they had a hot dog stand together. Oh. In Joliet. What's your favorite way to have a hot dog? Chicago style. Yeah. Which is? No ketchup. That's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Everything else, no ketchup. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's how we, I ended up in New Orleans. And I didn't do music for a year. So my mother moved here with me. It was me and my mother and our gay roommate, Terry, who I love dearly. That must be really fun. It was fun. And we... Rented an apartment uptown through the paper. I think it was like the Gambit. <laughs> you know, when Jason? you had newspapers yeah. and you read ads. And, and I think I picked up an actual Gambit or whatever it was back then, took it home, uh -huh. looked through the paper, and just blind called. I think it was probably the first one that I, because I'm like, I want to be uptown. Because I didn't really know New Orleans at all. But I knew like I had an elderly mother. She needs to have like a yard. Uh -huh. So... Like, all right, Uptown is where yeah, it so is. So you can let her out in the afternoon. Well, well she did take, to take walks, right, yes. by the park and all that. It was like $800 a month for a four-bedroom house wow. with a pool. Oh, my gosh, that's unheard of. <laughs> yeah, so me, my mother, and our roommate called on the phone and got approved over the phone. It was crazy. Those are crazy you know, times. I did the same thing yeah. um, because I was singing in Seattle. Uh -huh. I was doing about 80 performances a year at the time. And my parents thought I had a plan for the rest of college, but I didn't really. And my two um, friends uh, were coming out to University of Northern Colorado in 
just north of Denver, and mm-hmm. you know, and I'd always wanted to go to Denver because I was a huge fan of John Denver growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, you remember that era. Mm-hmm. And when we got there, we got the newspaper, and we yeah. started looking places for you know calling and you know making contacts for a place to live. And so it was me and three guy roommates. Yeah, which was amazing. Fun. I think we signed the lease maybe by fax. I don't even remember, but I know that we did. We signed it sight unseen. So I had her with me when we first moved here, so I didn't really focus on music. I knew that that's what I wanted to do eventually, um, was food and music. So did you have a, a, besides the rock band, did you have any kind of education in music? Or were I, you just- Yeah, I was a, a, I actually went to piano, classical piano conservatory. No kidding, yeah. I did too. I played really? classical piano all the way through college. So did I, until they kicked me out. Oh, they kicked you out? <laughs> yes. Sophie, oh, no. what I, up? I had to make a decision. I just, I, I, you're probably familiar with this. So before your freshman year, you have to have a, like a jury, right? Mm-hmm. Where they, you perform and then they place you with one of the teachers yep. or coaches. Mm-hmm. And I had a really great audition or a really great performance. And they put me with the top teacher who was mm-hmm. Russian, mm-hmm. Dr. Paperno. And he was mean. Me, I cried. That's not what I thought you were gonna. No, say. I cried my eyes out the first. I want to say three lessons. I'm so sorry because it was so. And I went to performing arts high school, so I was used to, you know, during juries and being a performer. Uh-huh. You know, and this is a whole different level, right? And he made me cry, and I think uh, he enjoyed it. My piano teacher was also the head of the piano department, and I will not mention the school or his name, but he actually asked me to a football game. And I was so young and still while he was a little your teacher? bit, while it was, yes, what? still a little bit so innocent at the time that it took me until like midway through that I realized it was a date. And I was like, that's crazy. This guy's like 30 years older than uh-huh. me and he's my piano. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I tested and uh, so he was my piano coach for freshman sophomore to the middle of my junior year. And I had some ups and downs. Like the first three lessons were hard, but then we got to know each other, and I, I really got really far and excelled and got really into it. But then I moved on to campus because I was living at home and commuting. Mm-hmm. I moved on to campus and started hanging out too much. <gasps> no. <laughs> yeah. What? I, I you mean having a life and quit practicing? Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Started hanging out. I was in the city. We're in Chicago. So it was DePaul University. In little of the city, everything's there for you, you know. So I kind of slacked off, and your junior year, you're supposed to declare your major, either performance, composition, uh-huh. or teaching. Right. And he just said to me, he called me Zolsha. He said, Zolsha, you, are, you don't have it. Go be a teacher. Oh, <laughs> and oh. yeah, so I cried again, left the music building, went straight to my counselor and said, how do I get out of college, oh. switching majors? And so I, I, I got a communications degree. So, you know, actually we have that in common too. I had no idea. One, I switched my degree from music education to performance mm-hmm. because at the time, Colorado had just passed this new thing where the teachers had to pass the spelling test. And I'm, I, was, I was an A student. I would study, mm-hmm. I would go in, and I would do the test. And I didn't pass it the first time, and it freaked myself out. I couldn't pass it the second time. I mean, I went in, and it was like my brain would just shut down. What kind of spelling test? Just a regular old spelling oh, test. Okay. I was like, what up? So the third time I missed it, they said, well, you have to wait six months to take it again, or you have to change oh, your wow. ma- or you can, or you can't graduate. Mm-hmm. 
So I changed my major to performance, which is why I don't have a degree in music education. Okay. And then also, as an adult, I decided to take lessons from one of the hardest teachers in Portland when I moved back, finally, after all those years. In what? In singing? Or? And I was singing. Okay. I, qu I quit playing piano for a while. I just didn't have the practicing in me, you know? Uh, it was too much. Yeah. It was just too much. Yeah. Um, but the I was singing, and I wanted to do Baroque. Um, you know, all the little trills and stuff, because mm -hmm. that's really similar to jazz. And I could do it, and I enjoyed it. And this teacher told me I would never make it. Right. Ever. And she says, yeah. why don't you just do what you're good at? Mm -hmm. And I was so crushed. I was absolutely torn apart, and I sobbed all the way home mm -hmm. in my car, and I stopped. The next the next lesson, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was like, why am I even doing this? Yeah. And then it was, you know, it wasn't even until... I don't know, maybe four years later when I regained my confidence a little bit that I started singing again mm -hmm. in my own vein, you know, right. with the stuff that I was writing and that mm -hmm. I was interested well, in. Well, in music so. school at college, they make you take uh, instruments outside of your main. Yeah. And my main was a classical piano. Yes. So I, took, I took clarinet and yep. vocal, yep. Cl uh, classical vocal uh, classes yep. with classical vocal majors. And part of the curriculum was that you had to learn three songs or three arias or whatever, and he would call you up to perform them randomly. Oh my God. Over the semester. So I. So you had to memorize them? Yeah, and you no. had to learn them, and you had to perform them in front of vocal majors. So I was terrified. I skipped that class so much <laughs> just so I didn't have to get up there and sing in front of people uh -huh. that I, I got an incomplete. Oh. And then I had to do a presentation at the end for your final yeah so you have to get with an accompanist yeah you have to sing in front of this vocal jury totally oh, no blew pressure it. yeah totally blew it Aww. got an incomplete they're like hey you know i think it was a uh, winter break they said come back after winter break you know get yourself together get these things memorized and we'll, we'll you know we'll take it up after the break and i just i quit oh yeah i'm so sorry yeah but then i picked up a guitar and started a rock band so oh my gosh you quit and taught yourself how to play guitar yes. instead of singing well, instead of classical piano. Oh. And so I started a rock band with my best friend from high school. Taught myself guitar. Started writing songs, which I had never done before. So I was always doing the classical track, which is just sort of regurgitation. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I write music, I find that my background in classical piano helps me a lot. Mm -hmm. Because I've got, you know, an understanding of keys and not necessarily just the theory part, which is not my strong suit. But also because of, um, you know, the, the things that go on in my head. You know, I've got that jazz and classical for me, all those scales and trills and mm -hmm. all those kind of things. To me, they just, like, naturally play off of each other. Yeah. And I, so I think it benefits me to have to have that classical piano background. I mean, what do you think? Sure. I mean, it's beneficial. But I think for me, when I walked out of the music school and picked up the guitar, yeah, I purposefully didn't want to learn guitar theory. I just yep. want to learn rock chords. Yeah. And that's how I wrote initially. And that's oh. how I learned the guitar. I still don't even, you know, know what notes I'm playing. And I don't really play guitar anymore. I'll pick it up to write songs, but It's know. a handy thing. It's portable for yeah. one. And I use the ukulele a lot. Do you really? To write songs. Oh, I love but, ukulele. Um, you don't really use the piano for writing. I just recently started playing, got my books out of storage and started playing for fun which is way more enjoyable. You're like, if you're like me, you're like, oh man, my left hand doesn't work anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah, way more enjoyable than it was when I was forced to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. I understand that yeah. completely. So, well, then how did you? I mean, we're sitting in this beautiful restaurant on Frenchman Street uh -huh. in New Orleans. Woohoo! So fun. Um, how did how did this happen? Well, how so did this whole thing when happen? me and my mother and Terry, that was our roommate, we moved to uptown. Terry only lasted six months. <laughs> he didn't like, he just didn't. You mean in New Orleans? In New Orleans, oh. yeah. He just couldn't connect, so he went back. I think he moved back to Tupelo, and then eventually now he's in Nashville. So my mother and I lived uptown for a year, and in that time I, I took a job on Frenchman Street, down the street at what is now called Vasso's. Uh -huh. But back then it was called Belforche, and it was, a, it was an extension of, there was an old printer's shop, down the street and that mm -hmm. was its storage space. Mm -hmm. So it had gotten renovated by this fella from Santa Fe, New Mexico. And that was kind of like the first Frenchman Renaissance. It's like 2001, 2002. Frenchman Street Frenchman Renaissance? Street Renaissance. Like Renaissance. a re-energized yes. re I mean, birth of right. restaurants and uh -huh. activity? Yeah, I mean, it's always, it's been here like way before me mm -hmm. and way before Belforche. 2001, so pre-Katrina, then after Katrina, post Katrina, mm -hmm. and then like post post Katrina, Treme post, TV post, show. Post post post. I would say I can't believe <laughs> you were here for Katrina. I didn't even think yes. about that. Mm -hmm. And by living here and working here, in my mind, when I was planning this, you know, future restaurant, mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted to have food and music involved somehow. So, so in every that, job I took, I was taking notes. Taking notes on learning. Yeah, learning like this, this is what I want to do. This is, this wanna is do. another idea. This is what I wouldn't do. <laughs> Mainly, <laughs> okay, there's that list you know. too. And so I always just keep my eye out for spaces. Mm -hmm. Mainly focused on Frenchmen. And back then, there were a lot of empty spaces. Mm -hmm. Now every inch is taken up. I mean, right. Even like the empty lots are taken up. And I was walking down the street one day. I guess it was 2000, early 2009. And this building was had always been boarded up. No activity at all. I think it was a, a hangout for uh, panhandlers, if I remember Fun. correctly. <laughs> a built-in clientele, or yeah. not. <laughs> and uh, the the doors were open. And so my I had a partner at the time. He called me up and said, hey, go take a walk down Frenchman. There's something going on on that building. So I came in. I was on the street. I think I had my daughter in a stroller, my first daughter. Because maybe I think I was pregnant with the second one at the time, I think. Uh-huh. And this was a big cement block. There was nothing in here. There was no plumbing, no electrical. It was just a cement box. There were some men at the very end. And I looked in and I said, excuse me, are you the owner? And he wasn't. He gave me his number, um, called the guy. And he's like, you know, you're the seventh person to call me. And we haven't even advertised yet. Seventh? You yeah. were seventh in line? Already. And oh, only no. the doors were open. So he said, send me um, a resume and um, a business plan. So me and my, I had one partner at the time. We wrote, you know, something up. Yeah. And then he narrowed it down to three people. And then we won. We won the lease. And that was in Yay. 2009. And, Yay. That, and that became the three muses? Yeah. And then the renovation took another 10 months. So we didn't actually open doors until August 2010. Hmm. And your dream, your dream, you watched your dream I come did. alive. Yeah, from, we, we did it from the ground up because this was an empty space. And then, So everything you see here is our design, our were, vision. Were you still singing at the time? I had started with my husband's band, Sitting mm -hmm. In, mm -hmm. The Spotted Cat. 
Um, Which is where you still have a Thursday night gig. Yes. I understand. I've been there forever. The spotted cat. Uh huh. Six months after I moved here, I met my husband. So I didn't have to date in this town. Wow. Thank God. Lucky you. I remember dating. <laughs> yeah. It was an interesting time. Dating in New Orleans, I have to imagine, is pretty <laughs> awful. But I never had to do that because I met my husband right away. So and he was uh, playing at the spotted cat. Marty's Music Kitchen podcast is brought to you in cooperation with Oregon Music News. So why did you, what's with the, the name um, Three Muses? Well, so after we signed the lease, my partner and I, the partner at the time, he was the, the, the alcohol part, the uh-huh. drink part. Right. I was music, he's drink. And then we had yet to get the food partner uh-huh. at this time. So we were in his kitchen trying to come up with names. Uh-huh. So I was just thinking food, music, drink, threes, and eh, I just kind of blurted it out. And there you go. And plus, no, and plus we, I had two daughters and he had one daughter. So three. there was this theme of three that was going on at the Aww. time. And then it just got, I kind of just blurted it out. Three and Muses I, is a great name. For, for sure. So, so for New Orleans, you know, very uh, muse-centric. Yes. Right. There's all the muse name streets. Yeah. Town. More so phones. I understand that on your menu, um, you have a dish, um, and I never say it right. Bulgogi. Yes. Ah, yeah, yeah, I said it right. Um, and what is that exactly? Well, it's um, so Miss Moon is my mother. Uh huh. And she's Korean. Okay. This was kind of our comfort food. It's always kind of our go-to, and we, we always had rice. It was always rice mm-hmm. made. 
basically a variation of uh, bibimbap. Ever heard of bibimbap? <laughs> Not yet. Okay, that's a traditional um, Korean uh -huh. dish, right? So is it spicy? It can be. There's a sauce on it called uh, gochujang. There's a marinated red bean paste, mm -hmm. or fermented red bean paste. So it's it's the version that my mother grew up feeding me, and she taught me how to make. So she didn't teach me the language, which I really really regret. I Aww. wish that she would taught Pass me that language yeah. part but on. Back then, it was um, of the era. She was of the generation that they they were Americanized, mm -hmm. so they wanted to be more American, mm -hmm. right? So that she didn't want to teach you. Yeah, not that she didn't want to. I mean, she did speak to us in phrases, and but it wasn't like high on her list to make us bilingual. Uh, you know, yeah. And also, she was a single mom. She was very, very busy. She was working all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and there weren't a lot of Korean people in Juliet. She had two Korean friends. And that was of, it? Yeah, that was it. Um, and they were all single parents, too. Mm -hmm. So she didn't teach me the language, but she made it a point to teach me how to cook. So she would be in the kitchen, and she'd yell, Sophia, get down here. He's <laughs> like, watch this. You know, and she'd have me helping her make you know, banchan and wow, the hands-on totally. passing on of yeah. like your food well, history. Free labor, <laughs> free labor, but also <laughs> free the, labor. Yeah, but also the the food history and just um, she wanted me to have this and to pass it down to me, which I'm going to pass down to my daughters. You know, so I'm very grateful for that. That's so that's how you know when the restaurant came to be, I always knew that that dish had to be on the menu as an homage to her. So when it, when it came time to uh, look for the third partner, mm -hmm. the food muse, um, his name is Daniel Essis, I told him that he could do whatever he wanted. It was his menu, but the only requirement I had was that this dish had to be on. Ah, so because this is it. This is yeah. family. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I love food so much. My own family, we had, you know, big meals, and my parents would always have enough food for everyone. So for me, the food has that sense of invite people, invite, you know, kids and, you know, our friends would come over and there would always be enough. And it was always food and family for me always went together. Oh, so, definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah. this looks gorgeous. So it's, just, it's, it's rice and um, marinated vegetables. Rice and vegetables. Yeah, so you have uh, the bean sprouts. Okay. There's spinach. Yeah. And then house-made kimchi. All right. And then you could have it with or without the egg. I grew up not having the egg, but in the traditional bibimbap, there's a fried egg. And then this topping is um, gochujang, which is the, the uh, fermented red pepper paste. Red pepper paste. I'm just going to take a little piece yeah. of that. Am I looking for some heat here? It, I don't think so, because I grew up with it. Not bad. Yeah. With no the, double um, dipping with the coffee. I know. I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm, exactly. Wow. That's not, that's really good. Yeah. Okay, so what is this? That's the house-made kimchi. Can I try this? Of course. All right, I'm going to try it. And this is beef? Beef. Mm -hmm. Usually ribeye, but... Okay, how, what's it? the best way to eat this? Tell me. Because well, I, I don't want to wreck the prettiness. A lot of people just mix it up. Mix it up. One big thing, or you could just take bites. And it's good chilled as well, which I think is what it is today. All right. Good show. It's really so good leftover. You can prepare all of this stuff ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Now, the soybeans look like they're mixed in with a sauce, some kind of a sauce? It is. It's kind of a, the go-to Korean traditional sauce. I don't think there's a <laughs> there's not a name for it, but it's basically soy sauce, sesame oil, mm -hmm. sesame seed, garlic, and green onions. Mm. 
So you actually take any kind of vegetable and mix it with that seasoning, mm -hmm. and it's delicious. And it's oh. automatically Korean. It is delicious. The red yeah. pepper paste, mm -hmm. everything, it's just so good. I had kimchi once. Um, the neighbors moved in a, a block down the street, and she was Korean. And she would make kimchi in her backyard. Yeah. And the only time I really tasted it, it was like painful. It was so, it was so hot. spicy. I literally felt like throwing up. Oh, this no. kimchi isn't that hot, but I do like spice. So sure. what is it in the kimchi that usually makes it so hot? Well, it's the red pepper flakes. Mm. Yeah. They sell them in giant bags at the Korean grocery store. We have exactly one Korean grocery store in New Orleans. Did you know that? One? Yeah, we used to have two. That's the other thing. Before we moved here from Tupelo, uh -huh. I had to make sure there was a Korean grocery store mm -hmm. in New Orleans so that my mother could get her Korean food or so oh. I could make the Korean food for her. So that was a requirement. Definitely a requirement. <laughs> so back then, there, thank God, there were two. But now we're down to one. Um, it's one of the original ones. It's on Transcontinental. I love them. Do they exist because you buy all of their food? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're the only ones in town now. That is strictly Korean. Uh -huh. And they have some other Asian stuff, but they're mainly, I would say, 95% Korean. We do have a Hong Kong market and lots of other Asian markets, but they're sort of, um, you know, pan-Asian. Right. But this one is a small family. They've been here as long as I've been here. And you got to cook for your mom? Yes. And did she cook for you? Yes. And actually, she taught my husband how to cook. What? Late at night. After I'd go, I didn't, and then I didn't know this until after she died. I would go to bed, mm -hmm. and he's a late night guy. Mm -hmm. so she would get up and teach him how to make uh, Korean kimchi soup. Aww. And I did, he didn't tell me this until after she passed away. Didn't he just surprise you one day and make Korean, Korean yeah. kimchi soup? Uh-huh. Like, how did you learn it? He's like, me and your mom would stay up at night. And yeah. she'd teach me. Did you cry? Of course. My dad, he's only been gone, well, he's been gone a year and a half. Every once in a while, you know, I'll find something or come across a picture of something. And it was just, my heart breaks a little bit, you know, because yeah. it's such a bittersweet thing to experience that rush of love mm -hmm. again. And I experienced that with food sometimes, too, with the dishes we shared. And so, yeah. yeah. All right, I'm going to just take a moment and pass this off to, cool. my, to my peeps. There's two new forks over here. Hey, it's good hangover food. It, it is. is. She didn't mention. I was going to say, <laughs> it is so good the next day. It's like menudo. It's like Mexican menudo. And what else is like this? Uh, uh, Yakamin is, is the, Ameri is the uh, New Orleans version. version. Yeah. Pizza is the American version. Yeah, like cold pizza. Mm -hmm. Well, that that little taste of home, I so appreciate you sharing that with me. Well, you're welcome. That's a special thing. Thank you thing. for being here. Oh, yeah. So I understand you've got three albums out? Yes. And we're currently working on the fourth. Really? And we're in post-production. <gasps> Yay, that's so close. <laughs> working on videos. Uh-huh. And... Through Muses will be 10 next year. I understand you have a great video I have not seen yet. Yes. Where can people find that? That's on YouTube. And then they can find your music on iTunes and at CD Baby. Uh-huh. And then your website has all about you. Yes. And where you can... SophieLee.com. Where you can find out about your shows. I'm assuming you do other shows than Thursday night or... Uh, mainly I just do the Thursdays. At, at the Spot Cat, Which I've been doing forever. I don't even know how many years. Forever? Years. Really? That um, is forever. Yeah. You must have quite the audience built in. Spotted Cat has the audience built in. Yeah. They're, they're like my second home. 
So in New Orleans, just out of curiosity, is your audience a lot of locals, or do you just get a ton of tourists that come through? A ton through? of tourists. I hope for Honestly, your sake yeah. they're all buying CDs. They are. I mean, I think New Orleans is probably one of the last cities, a handful of cities, if not the city where CDs are still being purchased, wouldn't you say? So the joke is, you know, every good musician, in Portland anyway, and I'm sure most of the rest of the country that isn't, tourist heavy the joke is oh yeah i bitched a cd and we've got like boxes of them in our closet because right. you bring them it's important to produce and write and create all the music mm -hmm. but the cds don't sell yeah and it's important to have them because that's how you get you send all the cds to the radio station right because they still use them they do so, they, they use the the jewel cases too right which i thought was weird with the spine you have with to get the, the spine because otherwise in their big library i had no idea they so, can't see it exactly so the lessons last learned. Release, I, I did the radio thing, the last release, uh -huh. and I didn't know about the whole spine and the jewel case. And yeah, it seemed, otherwise it seemed really archaic. It. But you know, yeah, when you're talking about thousands mm -hmm. and thousands of CDs at a radio station, right. yeah. So I actually produced two covers: one with the spine and one without, because the one without was less expensive. That's what I did too. Really? Yeah. Great minds think alike. I did. Yeah, and also though it's less heavy. The, the, the um, spineless ones, mm -hmm. and they're easier to just kind of bring with you to the gig. Mm -hmm. And then here in New Orleans, people want something in their hands that they could take with them. Yes. Because you know, uh, I did, I made the uh, digital, the download cards, and those didn't really sell very well. They don't. A couple of records ago. Maybe I'll try it again this one. That's an we'll affirmation see. saying, no, wait, they really don't. Yeah. But CD Baby makes it so much easier to just buy a box of download cards. You get, mm -hmm. you know, a box of 100, and then... You have them forever, and it's really right. not that expensive. I think I still have them, though. They're just sitting in the have shelf you seen, somewhere. Have you seen the new thing? Uh, people are producing um, albums, and they're putting them on little USB drives. Right. And they sell those uh -huh. instead of a CD, which I think I'm still trying to come up with that. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. I've even seen a CD that had a pocket for the USB drive. So sure. they were like, how much money are you sinking into that? Right. Right? Because the CD and the cover and the USB drive all in one, I'm like, holy cow. Uh -huh. That's I a think lot. For here, here at Frenchman Street, New Orleans, the CDs are still very uh, marketable. Oh, so right. I'll Good keep doing the CDs. Uh, you are just lucky. I did a seven inch a few years ago. The seven inch what? Record for uh, two of the songs that was on, I think, two CDs ago, two records ago. Did you ago? one side and the other? Yeah. It was, that was more fun. fun. I didn't sell those, I gave those away. If someone bought a CD, they got a free record. <gasps> fun. But a lot of people turned it down. They're like, I, I don't mean, have a record player. I'm like, but it's for fun. It's free. Like, no, no, no. So those, I have a bunch of those in my closet. Too. My brother's a record hound. Yeah. Shout out to my brother, Andrew, in Oregon. And yeah, he he collects all of vinyl. these records. He's got vinyl everywhere in his place, which is pretty cool. So. Yeah. Well, Sophie... Thank you so much Thank you for, having, for me. having this conversation and for being a lovely person. Oh, thank you so much. And I cannot wait to um, go check out the video. Yeah. And just, you know, learn more about Miss Sophie Lee, the performer. I've heard um, some of these pieces online and I love your voice. Oh, thank you. And is it possible for us to share the recipe for your bulgogi bowl absolutely for all our listeners absolutely i love it yes nice to meet you nice to meet you too <laughs>
I'm your host, jazz singer Marty Mendenhall, giving a special shout out to my on-the-road support team, recording engineer Jason Jerzak, production coordinator Terry Briggs, and my traveling photographers Bill Hinkle and Todd Reedman. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time on Marty's Music Kitchen.